Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did he save your soul? Oh man, aren't you glad he saved our soul? Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. And it's more intense when I wave my Bible at you. So I'll stop doing that. Thanks, Chandler. Good morning, all. As they said, Pastor Mike is sick today. I would like to begin real quick by saying a prayer for him. I know we've already prayed for him, but if I'm that sick, I want to be prayed for multiple times too, right? Father, we love you. We bow our hearts. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is by your grace and mercy that we are here today, God. We believe that you're the healer. We believe that you can stretch your hand out and touch our pastor this morning, God. And we stand in his stead and ask that you would do that, God. Heal him in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everybody says, amen. 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 The title of my sermon this morning, or my opportunity to share, is All In. I want to start out of Thessalonians 1 and 8. This is what the Bible reads. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, or Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. This morning we have an enormous task that I want to talk about, and it's reaching our area, our world, for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an enormous task, but at the same time it's fun, man, because you never know what God's going to do. Amen? You don't know. If you guys want to go ahead and turn, eventually we'll read more of 1 Thessalonians. I won't make you flip back and forth too much. But it's significant. It's important. And this is what I know about the task that we've been handed. It's it's too important to do alone. And we need Jesus. Right? Nothing earth-breaking or or, or anything like that or, or shattering. But we need Jesus. Sometimes we get caught up in Christianity and we want to impress the Father. We want to engage Him and we say, I can do it. And we must remember that no, we can't. We absolutely have to have the hand of Christ in our life. The hymnist wrote, There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. As I get older and I mature in the faith, I come to that realization how much I need Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I got to preach to the morning service and I preached a sermon that said, Oh, God, I need thee. And I was wrestling in my mind with a song that we had sang many times here. By the way, I love this church. I love our church, Ray of Hope. It's a good church, man. You guys are awesome. Got a rocking pastor, rocking boards. Great. I'm serious, man. It's good stuff. Yeah. Oh, we can do better than that. Get that bud flowing. Yeah, baby. There's nothing wrong with being excited about reaching the community, correct? But as I mature, I realize how much I need. And I was wrestling with that thought. Oh, Lord, I need you. Is that a sign of maturity? Is that a sign of weakness? What is it a sign of? I believe that God gave it to me and said, Man, that's a sign of wisdom. Understanding that you can't do it yourself. If you wake up every morning and begin to shout, Oh, how I love Jesus and, and I need thee. Oh, God, I need thee. Every hour. You're probably just starting to get somewhere. Amen? Yeah, baby, because our dependency upon Christ is real and true. And that's what floods into people's life and causes them to respond. I'm glad I'm up here on stage so I don't have to spit on you guys. (laughs) The next thing we need is we need each other. 
The Bible says this in Hebrews 10, 25. It says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, as much more you see the day approaching. What does he say to do that? Man, Satan wants you to be on an island. The devil wants you to think you can do it by yourself and that you're the only one going through the problem. You're the only one suffering. You're the only one dumb enough to make that mistake. Not true. But Jesus says, no, do not forsake this. Paul says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Come together, be encouraged by one another. This is what the J.B. Phillips says about the same verse. Let us do all we can to help one another's faith. And this more earnestly as we see the final day drawing even nearer. Let us all do all we can to build each other up. Why? Because we need each other. We were talking in Sunday school class this morning. I told Randy, I said, I promise I had my sermon man written before I came to your class. But we were talking about the importance of family and, 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 and service and, and knowing each other. Knowing that it's not just a person who sits on a pew, but they're my family. We're all in God's family and, and engaging and doing what we can to change their life. We've got a circle, and in the center is Christ. Sometimes we put ourselves in that center, and we shouldn't do that, right? That's when everything goes wrong. No, 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 no. Christ is in the center, and then it has all of us around working together to reach the lost. And this morning, that's what I want to come to you with an encouraging word. All in. Here we see Paul writing to the church of Thessalonia. And the task is great. We've all been in those challenging tasks, right? Where we feel like it's too big. Joshua Chamberlain was the Union Army officer. He was a brigadier general. Before he was a brigadier general, he was a colonel. He's most famous for fighting on the the Battle of Little Round Top, which is a key victory, a key battle in the Battle of Gettysburg. Had they lost that battle, they could have lost Gettysburg. And he was up on top of the mountain. The way the mountain sets is it's really a hill, but it's a flat up top and you can see down. And all day that day, he'd been taking advances from the Confederates. His numbers were few. Different statistics say that he was down three to one. Some people said he had no ammunition. Others said he had one or two bullets per man. One or two bullets, you might as well not have any, I guess, right? But he's up on the top and he's left with a decision. He can either hide... He can go find a rock and hide underneath it. Now, Jesus was behind rocks, but he prayed. He didn't hide. You could retreat and say, man, I abandoned my post. See you later, dude. There's no way we're going to get these. I'm out. Or he could charge. That was his decisions. He gathered his men around. And you can imagine what they were thinking when he looks at them and he says the magic word, Fix bayonets! Now, a bayonet was a 13 to 16 inch blade that you snapped on the end of the gun. And the reality is, once you snapped that on the end of the gun, you didn't shoot as well anyways. So you can imagine their eyes looking into his eyes. It was those crazy eyes. You know those eyes that your mama gives you when you've done embarrassed her at the major social event? Oh, yeah. That's what they were looking into, man. <laughs> Fix bayonets! What an intense moment, man, because they knew what this meant. Dude, shooting at each other is over. It is now hand-to-hand combat. We are running down the mountainside. Very interesting story with Joshua Chamberlain. That day, he'd already, by the end of the war, he'd, almost, he'd already been injured six times. That day alone, he had taken shrapnel on his right foot. So he was really more like this right here. Fix bayonets! He was hurt. Also that day, they believe a bullet lanced off his sword and hit his belt buckle. 
So he has some decisions to make. He gets them all lined up and he gets on the rock wall. And everybody knows what he has to do. You can imagine what the men are thinking. Click, 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 click as they fasten those bayonets. They're looking at their buddies. They're looking at themselves thinking this could be it, man. This is it. But what was Joshua Chamberlain's orders? Keep it at all cost. That's the reason why we have to be all in. God's told us to reach them at all cost. We got to. Click, 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 click. They all get ready. Joshua Chamberlain with his limp jumps up on the wall and says, Charge, charge, charge. They all run down the mountain and they overrun the 15th Regiment of Alabama. Scare the daylights out of them. Half of them run away. They capture half of them. It's crazy. And they're outnumbered three to one. But why? Because sometimes when your back's against the wall, man, you got to have the crazy eyes, right? <laughs> you got to have those, man. Get people on board with you. But just like Joshua Chamberlain, we live in a time where as men and women, we get to rise to the top. God's looking to pour out his power, to pour out his spirit, and looking for people to use it in. Joshua Chamberlain had that attitude, I'm all in. Paul had some choices to make at the church of Thessalonica. It was very difficult for him at first when he went. Truthfully, he had three to six months to set up the church before the Jews had already put so much persecution and pressure on him that he had to flee. So here he set this new church up in Thessalonica. Probably put in a pastor, no doubt. These dudes are only three to six months old Christians. So he's writing this letter. Now Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. I don't want to bore you too much with history, but I'm a history guy. So just if you're bored, man, you know, get the crazy eyes with me, man. Help me out here. Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. Achaia was a province in South Macedonia. Whenever you see these two together, Thessalonica and Achaia, or maybe Macedonia and Achaia, you'll see that it really stands for all of Greece. Achaia was to the south of Thessalonica and Macedonia. So in three or six months, man, it already spread so much that people had seen what they were doing. People everywhere is telling me what you guys are doing. The story that I'm about to read here is also found in Acts 17. It's really the... Uh, really what happens in, in first, the, the, the story of 1 Thessalonians is really happening in Acts 6, 17, 1 through 9, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more. Paul starts his letter. He begins to say in 1 Thessalonians there, 1, I see that your message has spread. And I believe out of this are four simple techniques that we can gain from this that we as believers can implement in our life to reach a dying world. That we can be all in. Because really, I'm going to do a buzzkill here, or spoiler alert. The end, of the, the end of the sermon is simple. I want people to look at me and say, thank you for being all in. I've got some people in my life. <clears throat> I've got some people in my life that have been all in. And that's the reason why I can say that I love Jesus, my wife loves Jesus, and my daughter loves Jesus. And I want some people behind me that will say, thank you for being all in. 
I know it's not the most eloquent way to say it, but think about it. You're standing before Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But it's okay if he says, man, Matt, you were all in. Look behind you and see the sea of faces that have been influenced by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because you allowed me to use you. Man, what a powerful moment. I love you guys. I don't mean to scream. I apologize. I've been working on it. It's the pursuit of Christ, right? These people that have been all in. So I believe if we'll, we'll apply these four simple techniques, they won't be mind-blowing, but I hope they'll be encouraging. So let's begin by reading 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 10. Paul writing to the church. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know we live among you for your sake. You became imitators as us, uh, of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from, not, from, um, from you not only in Macedonia, but in Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Check this out, guys. They tell you you've turned to God from idols, to serving the living, true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven who raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. What a great, amazing point that would be that he can write this letter and he can say, because I've influenced you and you've decided to, to take a hold of this, you've turned from idols, you've turned from that. Matter of fact, it's so important that people all around the community, all around your Judea, Samaria, that type of deal is seeing you and filling you. And, and really, so many people came to the knowledge of Christ, that's what caused that persecution. The Jews were not very happy at all. Some of them got saved, and we'll get to that, but a lot of them were not happy. So as we apply these four truths, what can we do? What's the first truth? The first truth is simple, to proclaim the gospel. Verse 5, came to you not simply in word. Paul here admits, though, that I used words. I came and spoke to you. I came and talked to you. I visited with you. In the story in Acts 17, it says this is what he did. He reasoned with them. It also says that he began explaining and proving. What it does not say he did is stand at the door of the temple and hope of a sign and say, turn or burn, sucker, turn or burn. Right? Oh, man, I don't know if you've seen guys on the corners and stuff, but we've got to be careful because we're already, we're already harboring a hard message to handle. Put yourself down. Pick up the cross of Christ. Woo! Who? Takers? You know? And we got to make sure that we're like Paul. What did he do, man? He was so influenced and so persuaded that he would talk to them. He'd visit with them. He would explain it to them. He would prove it to them. Be ready in season and out of season. Oh, man. That's how we should do it, right? we got to be careful, but we've got to have that courage to open up our mouth. But we got to have the wisdom of what comes out of it. Right? Oh, yeah, man. I've been there before. I'm like, man, dude, shouldn't have said that, bro. The other day, my wife warned me. She said, don't say that. So what did I do? I said that. Then I wound up making two apologies. I'm sorry I said that. Yeah, it happens, man. Don't, yeah, and she let me live it down. That was pretty cool, too, man. Okay? 
So here we see Paul, he goes in there, man, explaining and proving, right? No signs. No purposeful offense. Now, you got to be careful with that one. We got to be careful with that one. I don't want to offend them. Well, just because you don't want to offend them don't mean you need to joke like them. Don't mean you need to talk like them. Right? If you're going to make fun of wives and kids and stuff, I'm out, bro. Out. Can't do it. Sorry. I don't want to purposely offend you, but I've got to draw a line. But some people ask the questions that get under people's skin. <laughs> Just to see, and what happens, dude? Those dudes get overfooded and they grab the pulpit and you're just laying to grab whatever, you know? You're like, oh, yes, I love it, right? Can't be that way, man. Don't purposely anger people, right? Three days in the temple talking and visiting. He was making his way in, right? That old saying, honey attracts more flies than vinegar, right? Quit spraying vinegar, bro. <laughs> people don't like it, man. Use tactics when you go after people. No egos. Paul didn't walk in there and be like, what's up, suckers? I was once like you. Now I'm not. Any questions? Three days, man. No egos. No, he understood that it is their souls that are at stake. It is the souls of the community and the town, of the young men and young women, of the families. And if I have to stay here three days and try to persuade you, it's worth it. Why? Because I am convinced this is the way. My ego's off. We'll leave that to the side. It provoke them. Number two, what can we do? I believe in verse 5 it also says, with power, with the Holy Spirit. He proclaimed the word with the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, it says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever have I said unto you. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. It's okay not to have the answers. There's no way, even as educated and, and, and as, as well-versed as Paul was, that he walked into these synagogues and he had it all figured out. Boom, here's my script for the next three days. There's no way he had to rely on the Holy Spirit. Remember, we have the New Testament. He wrote it, <laughs> okay? He had to listen to the Holy Spirit. He had to ask, comforter, come in, speak to me, show me. Give me the things to say. Bring it back to my remembrance. An easy way to do that is John 12 and 32. And understand this is talking about the death of, the, of Jesus and talking about his body being lifted up, but it's the principle that I also want to address here too. In John 12 and 32, it says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people into myself. How do we draw men into ourselves? Using the example of Paul. Holy Ghost, I need you to show me what to say. Don't let me offend. I want, in everything that I do, how I interact with people, how I talk with people, I want to lift up the name of Jesus. And you know what happens when I have that attitude? Oh, men will come running. Whenever it's so real in my life and it's so real in our lives that I lift Jesus up in the way that I speak, the way that I communicate, the way that I deal with people in those unpleasant situations, I say, no, God, you are number one. I will lift you up. And what does the Bible say? I will draw all men unto myself. And what is the goal? Get people in the boat, bro. We're going to heaven and we want you to go with us. We don't want to tick a bunch of people off on purpose, right? We don't want to do that. 
Man, we're life preservers. We're throwing it out to those people, right? Need to, we'll get out of the boat and swim to them. Why? Because if Jesus be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. Let's lift him up. The prayer is simple. Jesus, teach me to lift Christ up in my life. The way that I interact with my wife, the way that I interact with my daughter, the way that I interact with my job, let people be like, holy moly, dude, I don't know what that cat has, but I've got to talk to him more. And God will lead you and guide you. God woke me up over an individual a couple weeks ago, or actually about a month ago, and I had some very strong words for him in love. Basically, you know the Bible, you know faith, you need to get yourself back in church. So I waited for the opportune time, said, God, that's probably not what I need to say because that's probably not going to work. God said, just open your mouth. So I did, and I engaged him in a conversation. And I believe his life is beginning to change. See him in church and doing some other stuff. Why? Because I had a normal conversation with him. No signs, no egos. Just God, let me lift you up so that you can draw him because you do the work. I'm glad that you use me. But unless they feel the knocking, they're not going to answer. For me, no, no, no. Now they might be stirred up a little bit and think, man, I got to get some stuff together. But ultimately the change comes from the, I feel something different. I, I'm hearing something I didn't hear before. I'm feeling something I didn't feel before. Oh, that we lift up Jesus and all men be drawn unto him. Isn't that a wonderful statement, all men? He doesn't care, man. He wants you in the boat. Number three is simple too. They proclaim the word with conviction. Have you ever met one of those people that talk when, and speak when you're around with so much passion? You know it's that deep conviction. Man, you know it's real. You know that they care about how they act and hear how they speak and, and jokes they laugh at. They just have that conviction. Romans 1 and 6, what Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, then also to the Greek. you got to be careful though. Because now, what does it say in Romans 8? Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? We no longer walk up underneath condemnation, but we walk up underneath conviction. But you've got to understand, as we reach a dying and lost world, what are they walking under? Condemnation. This is the scary hard part about it. You ready for this? Okay, buckle your seatbelt. Look at your neighbor and say, buckle your seatbelt here. Okay? Oh, you do better than that, man. I'm just playing. Condemnation has a different way of applying itself. People don't know how to act when they're cut to the heart. See, we walk under conviction. I know when I mess up, I know that the Lord's forgiving God. And all I have to do is repent and work it not to do it again, right? Oh, but people that don't have that experience, man, it's totally different for them. Because they got that guilt and that weight. Satan is trying every effort. And think about it. As you talk more about Christ, as we try to reach more people like we're doing, as people come in the church and different things like that, what, what's happening? The Satan's probably even fighting them more, right? Because he knows me and they're right there. They're right there, right? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What happened in the story in, in Acts 17, man, it said that the Jews were so angry at the growth of the church that they went out to the city square and got, grabbed a bunch of guys of bad character, start, formed a mob, stormed this guy named Jason's house, which was helping Paul, and throws him in jail. What happened to Stephen whenever he had an absolute wonderful rebuttal to the Sanhedrin? They were cut to the heart and they stoned him. 
What happened to Christ whenever he would go into town and he would begin to pour out his heart and people were cut to the heart? Now all of a sudden they're trying to kill him, trying to stone him. He would have to slip out of town, right? But this is the hard part about it. See, our attitude shows everything. Christ still went to the cross. Stephen, in his last moments, forgive them. Forgive them. Yeah, because he had the all-in attitude. Forgive them, God. They don't understand what's going on. What happened to Jason? If you read in Scripture, it doesn't say that Jason got so mad he came out of the jail. An angel carried him out of the jail, set him in the middle of the town. He lit the whole sucker on fire and burned it to the ground. Let the sucker burn. All right? He didn't do that. It says he got bowed on bond and did his thing. And by all references to Scripture, we can say that Thessalonica grew. More Christians became. Jews converted. Why? Because I believe they saw that all-in mentality. They saw that working inside of them. That's a real deal. That's a real deal. Four simple. The proclamation was lived out. Now, in my notes here, I have to the best of their ability. What we've got to be careful about is we read the Bible, we think of perfection, which is what we should do. Especially when we're reading about Christ. Now, the Bible in itself is perfect. It's the writ of God. Absolutely. Case closed. However, when we read about Paul, Timothy, these type of guys, we've got to understand that they were just dudes, man. You can't tell me three days arguing in a temple, you probably didn't say something you shouldn't have. Probably didn't offend somebody. And, I, I, and you can't tell me that he didn't know some of these cats that he was rocking against. Man, think about it. I can be nice to people I don't know a whole lot easier than I can to people I know because I know what they're going to gouge me with. Oh, it lights me on fire, right? So you can imagine Paul's a pretty intense dude, man. How do you think he learned to be calm, cool, and collective? Because maybe he got caught a couple times, right? But the pattern of his life was so that they looked at him and said, Dude, that dude's legit. The pattern, the pattern, the pattern. Hebrews 12 and 14 says this. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the God. No one will see God. What is he saying? Make every effort. Don't go in there, guns a-blazing. Don't go in there, uh, signs held up, right? Don't do any of that. Make every effort to get peace and holiness. Why? Because holiness is what God requires of us. And if we will do that, he will call all men unto him. If I be lifted up. Pastor had an ex- extremely great line a couple weeks ago. Pastor challenged us with this one line, and I loved it. It's been on my heart ever since. We expect holy fire on an empty altar. God began to speak to me. He said, Matt, as you experience this, as people experience this, we need to be excited about it. Think about it. Because on my altar, I get to put time. On my altar, I get to put donations. On my time, I get to put keeping my mouth shut when I really want to say something. So when the holy fire God does come down, it has something to consume. That person will get saved. That family will be put back together. Why? Because I said some stuff. Uh, I didn't say some stuff that I wanted to. I've taken time when I didn't have it. I gave when it was tough. I put some stuff on the altar so that way when I could experience the holy fire of God, the people behind me and people in front of me could say, I'm glad you're all in. You know, I mean, there's so many people, I was thinking about this other, there's so many people from van drivers to teachers to coaches who thank God they were all in, man. I got to 
grip a guy in the face today, talk me in Royal Rangers and look at him and say it was because of people like you that were all in that I get to be here. Oh man, that gets me excited. Don't expect a holy sacrifice on an empty altar, holy fire on an empty altar. There's another character in the story about Joshua Chandler that I want to share for you, share with you. His name was Sergeant Tozer. Sergeant Tozer was the, was the man who carried the colors. Now what the colors was, was the flag of the time. So his job, in some ways, was even tougher than Joshua Chamberlain's. Joshua Chamberlain jumped up on the wall, yells, charge, charge, charge. What we don't realize is Tozer, by that time, had already slipped off the wall and began to march in front of him. Because they began to realize that the men fighting in the battle, if they would see the colors, they would remember what they're fighting for. They would remember the purpose of being all in. When those colors would go down, the next person would grab it. They didn't want it to get behind them and they wanted to keep it out in front. Why? Because it caused them to fight. There's a cause. There's a purpose. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I hope I've encouraged you. Oh man, there's a cause and there's a purpose. I hope I, I get to be that color bearer in a way. Oh, that, that, that there's men and women out there who need Jesus that we can make a footprint that you guys have already making, man. Oh, the people who came up on Easter and the people who walked through the doors, that we should continue to make that footprint. Why? Because we want to be all in. We want those people to have the testimony. Check out this testimony. 1 Thessalonians 8, 1 and 8. The Lord's message rang out from, not, uh, not, uh, rang out from you not only in Macedonia, but in Cadia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Imagine somebody getting saved, and we get to go up to them, we're like, dude, you've changed your office, bro. Oh my goodness, man. Now you're working on your neighborhood? Get it. How can we help, right? Therefore, you do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned from God, turned, uh, turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Oh my goodness, man, what a testimony, right? You see people's lives do this over and over again. That is the reason why we must be all in. That's the reason why we got to jump on the wall when it's not convenient and say charge. we got to jump on the wall when it's not easy. Whenever we feel, oh man, right, you feel like running. You feel like retreating. But God said, that's not what I called you for. Keep it at all cost. We've got to get the generation at all cost. Their souls depend upon it. This morning, I want us to remember what we're fighting for, simply put. I want you to know that whenever you don't say what you want to, whenever you give your time when it's not convenient, whenever we go in there and we don't have our signs raised and we start conversations, that God will reward us for that like he's already doing. Would you bow your heads with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.